Hey folks, welcome back to another edition of Fire and Ice Sports. As always, my name is Evan Smoke and I'm your resident fire here on the podcast and a third year journalism student at the University of Georgia and about somewhere in the world right now would be the local ice, Mr. Bryson Wheeler. He might be home in Statesboro as he is a third year sports management major down there, but he's also spent those uh, semester interning with the world-renowned Savannah Bananas. Uh, the reason of that is because of that busy schedule and my induction into the sports media carousel that is Athens. We've had a little hard time to find each other to get this podcast. We had some free time today and wanted to get back on here and keep it, keep our thoughts, uh, you know, for the MLB season that starts tomorrow and some stuff we've missed in the past month, make sure it's put out on the airwaves that people know. But before we get into the show, Bryson, how are we doing? How's the trip been? Where are we where are we tuning in from right now? Yeah, well, I currently am in Statesboro, but I leave for a flight to Scottsdale, Arizona in about seven hours. So it's going to be a fun one. I will be home for about the next two, two and a half weeks after that, though. Get a little break. But like I said, we've got a lot going on. We're going to kick it off with March Madness right here. So let's start off with all of the huge upsets that we've had in March Madness so far. It, it's been a wild one. I mean, you look at the Final Four, and we have a five seed, or two five seeds, a four seed, and a nine seed. FAU as the nine seed coming in. And let's talk about FAU, you know, kicking it off with some of their big upsets. They beat Memphis in the first round, not too huge of an upset, but they get Farley Dickinson in the second round, and Farley Dickinson – upset Purdue, the second 16 seed over a one seed ever. FAU also then beat Tennessee and Kansas State, so a lot of huge upsets for them. Some other notable upsets I want to run over are Princeton beats Arizona in the first round, 15 seed over a two seed. You know, many people at Arizona win it all. They look like one of the best teams in the country right now. Um, Arkansas, they get a huge win, eight seed over one seed over Kansas Miami, in their run to the Final Four, they beat Houston, a one-seed, and Texas, a two-seed. So what are your thoughts on a lot of those upsets in this crazy March Madness we've had so far? Yeah, March Madness really uh, lived up to the title this year. Uh, and and I, think it's, I think this is what the sport needed. Obviously, last year we had one of the bluest of Blue Bloods Final Fours with Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, and Villanova. You know, and nothing to complain about there. Those are historic programs, and we knew we were going to get some classics in the Final Four in the championship, and we did. We weren't worried about that. But this year is the year of the chaos. I mean, we've got San Diego State in the top bracket after beating Alabama, after beating Creighton, uh, kind of as a revenge team for that 2020 team. A lot of people tend to forget that that 2020 team going into their conference tournament was 32-3. and I mean, was absolutely on a tear, was on pace for a top-two suit, top-two seed, probably could have got a chance at a one seed if some things didn't go away, go the way of the top seeds in the conference tournaments, and it felt Evan, like that was taken away from them. Yeah. Lost you for just a second. Keep going. Okay. Well, it, it just felt like it was taken away from them, um, and now they're back. Three years later, San Diego State finally gets, you know, kind of some payback or some glory that that 2020 team uh, maybe could have got for the – and they made the run all the way to the Final Four. Um, like I said, we've already talked about FAU and Dusty May in the bottom left bracket. I mean, the, what people tend to forget, especially because of their big upsets over the Cinderella and Farley Dickinson, but then turning around and beating Tennessee and Kansas State in Madison Square Garden, I mean, just huge wins in the biggest stage in the world. But the biggest thing that people forget, it, there was one controversial jump call ball 
or jump ball call at the end of that Memphis FAU game that went the Owls' way, and in a different universe, they don't even get out of the first round. That's what March Radis is all about. You sometimes, balls go your way, bounces off fingertips, bad foul calls. So that is the name of this game sometimes when you've got elite talent playing against elite talent in the closest of margins. And now the Owls are dancing in Houston this weekend for a chance at a national title. All right. So <clears throat> now we're going to talk about each Final Four team's path and how they got there and give our predictions for the rest of the way. So let's start off with San Diego State. And, you know, looking at their first two rounds, they beat a 12 seed and a 13 seed in Charleston and Furman. So not two huge wins there. I mean, Furman did beat Virginia, and they are a very good defensive team. But nothing huge there. But then the next two rounds, they beat Alabama, who in my opinion was the best team in the country. And then they beat Creighton, who was one of the best teams in the nation early on. They had a lot of injuries. They're finally getting healthy, and that's why they were a six seed, but they were much better than a six seed. I mean, Creighton could have easily won it all if a couple of calls had went their way. They San Diego State ends up beating Creighton by one point, and now they are set to face off FAU. And let me talk about FAU's run real quick. They beat an eight seed in Memphis in the first round. Many people thought that this Memphis team was prime for a historic Cinderella run. They beat Farley Dickinson in the second. They beat Tennessee, even though they were missing a couple players. This Tennessee team was a really, really good basketball team still. And then they beat Kansas State, who was a really good basketball team, led by um, <clears throat> former Florida really guard. Uh, what'd you say? Uh, well, Keontae Johnson's on Yeah, Keontae Johnson, former but, Florida guard. But yeah, great story for Keontae Johnson. But the story of the tournament for K-State was Marquise Noel. Marquise Noel is an undersized guard who broke the assist record in Madison Square Garden, a native of Harlem. I mean, it was just picture-esque movie. Couldn't have wrote a better story. Obviously, the story didn't end in a championship for first-year coach Jerome Tang and his, and his Wildcats. But, hey, great run for Kansas State. I think they're going to be right back in the mix next year. Don't look out for Kansas State to finally get over and up to the mountaintop in the next couple of years under the leadership of Tang. Oh, Absolutely. But give us your thoughts on San Diego State and FAU's runs to the Final Four. Well, I kind of already talked about FAU's run when we were talking a little bit about the upsets. But, man, this San Diego State team, um, they beat College of Charleston, who was a trendy upset pick in the first round. They get Furman second round after Virginia has just a disastrous meltdown in the final seconds. Furman escapes with an upset win. Furman then proceeds to lay a huge egg versus San Diego State in the second round. The San Diego State moves on, and they get a chance with Alabama. Alabama, Brandon Miller, who we all probably agree is a top-five pick coming into the tournament. Might not be anymore. Brandon Miller had the worst statistical NCAA tournament from a shooting perspective that anyone has ever had. That's not what you want to see from a consensus top-five pick, I say with air quotes. I mean, just really bad timing for your best player to go really, really cold. I mean, I'm talking Antarctic levels. And, I mean, there was a lot of off-season, off-the-court issues with Alabama this year. Um, I'm not even going to delve into that. Most people know. If you don't, it's worth the research. But just from a karma standpoint, I was happy that the tide were come, it came out. Obviously, Georgia fan, there's bias there, yada, yada, yada. But um, I, I did think some karma was due there. And I and – I, and I'm glad San Diego State. Like I said, I've mentioned – this is probably my third time mentioning it in the first eight minutes of the show. 
the San Diego State team in 2020 was destined for greatness, and, I, and I'm glad this 23 team can really, you know, kind of carry on that legacy. All right, so let's look at the matchup. San Diego State versus FAU. Who do you have? I'm going to take San Diego State moving on. I know this FAU team, you know, they have 35 wins or whatever it is. Props to them, heck of a season, but I think San Diego State's just too good of a team. What's your pick? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree with you. I, I really want FAU to win. I'll be I'll be pulling for them. If the odds are right, I might put a bet on them. But just this San Diego State team is so tall, and it's so defense-oriented, and they can shoot. Like, it is so hard to guard when you've got three behemoth, you know, forwards in the paint every play doing a block party after block party after block party. FAU is going to have to have to come up with some creative things. They're going to have to shoot the ball from a distance really well. Um, and I think San Diego State is just going to find a way to pull this one off. I got the Aztecs in the national championship. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, let's jump to the other side of the bracket real quick. We've got Miami versus UConn. Now, I think this is going to be a heck of a matchup. I mean, let's look at Miami's run real quick. They beat Drake in the first seed. In the first round, then they beat Indiana, who many people had making a huge run, maybe even a Final Four run. Trace Jackson Davis, one of the best players in the country for Indiana. But then they also beat Houston, who many people have winning the championship. They beat them by 14. Then they have a huge comeback win versus Texas, a two seed, to get to the Final Four. Let's talk about UConn's run real quick. And this is a team that I had in my Elite Eight. I did not have them in many of my Final Fours brackets that I made, but I had them in the lead eight in a lot. They beat Iona in the first round handily. They beat St. Mary's in the second round pretty handily. They slaughter Arkansas in the third round, which was a surprise to many after Arkansas's coming off their big win over Kansas. Then they absolutely dominate Gonzaga. Now, I did not think Gonzaga was going to make a huge run. I had TCU beating them in the round of 32, but Gonzaga makes it to the lead eight, but then UConn just throttles them. So, what are your thoughts about Miami and UConn's runs? Miami is a really good story. Uh, obviously, you, you beat a trendy upset pick at Drake, um, and then you handle business with Indiana with one of the best players in the country in Trace Jackson Davis. You then stop the juggernaut that is Houston, who was trying to barrel their way back home uh, to the Final Four. Um, they dominate them by 14, and then to come back from 13 down and under nine minutes to go in the second half of an Elite Eight game, is just a complete, you know, will over matter. We're going to beat you. Uh, everything left out on the floor. Um, huge win for the Hurricanes. First Final Four in history. Uh, Braxton Miller was perfect from the free throw line. I believe he was 12 for 12 in that Elite Eight game. Isaiah Wong had a great game. And this is this is about Jim Larega. I mean, Jim Larega, Lorraine, Jim Larega, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He is one of the best coaches uh, he's an underrated coach. He took George Mason to the Final Four uh, all those years ago and one of the biggest Cinderella runs ever. And now he's got Miami. And Miami's a bigger school. I get it. They're, a, they're an ACC school. They were a five seed. They had a good season. No one thought they'd beat it, though. No one thought they'd get their first Final Four in history, especially in a division where they had to go through an Indiana and a Houston and a Texas. They didn't get any lower seeds. You know, it was practically chalk all the way down for them. And they went through everybody, and they won. So hats off to the Hurricanes. They're going to get a great matchup in UConn. Talk about UConn. UConn struggled in one half the entire tournament. Uh, Rick Pitino, who is now at St. John's when he was still coaching Iona, 
He held him there for one half. Iona was leading at half. Ever since that halftime buzzer went off and the second half started, UConn has been dominating people. They ran through the rest of Iona. They ran through the five seed in that division would have been unblanking. St. Um, Mary's. St. Mary's. Pummeled them. Pummeled Arkansas. Absolutely destroyed Gonzaga. Won by 28. I mean, this team is the hottest in the country. Dan Hurley has his Huskies. Back to that glory age of 2000s UConn basketball when them and the women's were winning every tournament every year, it felt like. I, I just – I'm really excited to see this matchup exactly. I think UConn and Miami – you talk about not having UConn going far. The only Final Four team I got right was UConn. I had UConn. It, I had UConn losing the national championships in two brackets. So I mean, I think it's a great run. Um, I think it's going to be do really well. Uh, I'm excited to see how the Huskies perform at Houston on Saturday. All right, so now let's give our picks. You know, we already picked the left side of the bracket, so let's pick the winner of this. I'm get, I'm picking UConn to move on, and I'm picking UConn to win it all over San Diego State. What's your pick? Yeah, I, it feels too chalk, especially for this tournament, so it doesn't make me feel good. But as a reporter, as someone who has to look at the statistics and look what I've seen, I don't think there's any other argument you can make at this point. I mean, I think UConn's heavy favorites. I mean, they're just on a tear. They're dominating. As much as I want to see a Miami FAU at all South Florida championship, I think that would be awesome. I I'm going to take UConn over San Diego State and the Huskies to lift another title. All right, well, let's move on, and let's talk about the MLB. The season opens up tomorrow, and, you know, the Braves fans here have a lot to look forward to. I think it's going to be a great season for us. I'm predicting another division win for us. And who knows what else more. So let's get into it. And I want to start off talking about how Kyle Wright and Rosel Iglesias will start on the I.L. for us. You know, that really, really hurts. But we have Dylan Dodd and Jared Schuster, two young guys who are going to make their MLB debuts this year. And they're going to start off in the rotation. You're going to see Jared Schuster probably throw the third game of the year this year. And then you're going to see Dylan Dodd probably sometime next week come in and throw some. Hopefully, Ryan Iglesias will be back fairly soon, though, and we won't miss them too much. But looking forward to, you know, seeing Schuster and Dodd get their chances and see what they have. I watched Jared Schuster some the other day. He has an amazing changeup. Sits in the high 90s with his fastball. I mean, I think he's going to be great. I do not know much about Dylan Dodd. Dylan Dodd's kind of came onto the scene really late and surprised a lot of people. But both of them, I looked up their college stats the other day and, you know, minor leagues and stuff. They both have really, really good strikeout-to-walk ratios, and that's what I love to see in a pitcher. I don't like like to see many walks. Both of them sit around the 1.8 to 2 range in walks per nine innings. Both have good strikeout numbers, both over 10 and double digits. So props to them. Ready to see what they have. Let's talk about the offense side of things, though, and – I think the Braves' offense is just going to carry them the whole year. I mean, Ozzie Albies has been hitting the ball. Glad to see him back and healthy. Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to be so much better than he was last year, in my opinion. Look out for him to be in the MVP talks, along with Matt Olson. I think Olson has a great shot at the MVP this year. I know not many people think he can hit over 250 or 260, but if the guy hits 45-plus homers, has 120-plus RBIs, and wins a gold glove, 
it's really, really hard to argue against. I think Austin Riley's going to be awesome again, as always. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what Michael Harris Jr. can do. Or Michael Harris the third, whatever. What he can do in his first full MLB season. It's going to be fun to watch on the offensive side of things. Like I said, I'm predicting a division win, and I'm predicting us to win somewhere between 93 and 95 games in a very, very close win in the division over the Phillies. I think the Phillies are getting contested with us all year. I think they're a great team and could win it all. But what are your thoughts on the Braves? Give us your predictions. Yeah, this Braves team is going to be an absolute murderer's row. Uh, I mean, I think the only position right now that you can look at and have a question to mark um, of are we going to get hits out of, and, and I think that's got to be shortstop. I know a lot of people are questionable about left field, but, man, Eddie Rosario has burst onto the scene during the World Baseball Classic and back in spring training. If we, if he could keep that up, and, and I, I saw him do it, man. I saw him do it two years ago in that postseason. Now, postseason's not 162 games. He doesn't have to go crazy or all 162, but if we could get good production out of him for about 100 to 110, I could take that every day of the week, especially in one of the weaker positions on our um, The biggest thing is the shortstop. A lot of people thought it was uh, Von Grissom's job to lose. A lot of people thought Brandon Shoemake might have come onto the scene to take the job. Surprising move, it's going to be Orlando Arcia. <clears throat> I don't understand if this is he won the job and we didn't really know about it, or if this is a we want to keep Shoemake and Von Grissom at the minors for a certain amount of time so we can keep control of them. I don't know. I trust AA. I believe in whatever system he's doing. However, Arcia has been hot the last week. If he can continue that, I don't think anybody will complain. But that is the question mark when we go into this season. How is shortstop going to do in the post-Dansby era? The starting rotation, I think, will be fine. Um, I, I like Kyle Wright. I like Strider. I like Freed. Charlie Morton doesn't look as good as he was. Obviously, he's getting older. And the question is, who will be that fifth starter? Will it be Dodd or Schuster? Um, so something to look into there. The bullpen, I think the bullpen will be fine. Losing Iglesias does hurt, but I don't think it's a serious injury. I think it's just a minor, inter- minor injury. He should be back in a week or two. So nothing really there. Um that I'm too worried about. I think the Braves are going to win the division. I think we win it by three games over the Philadelphia Phillies, and I'd have us going 95 and 67. I think that's right, Matt. Yep, that is. Um, so, I think, so I think that's where we're going to be, 95-67, probably the two seed in the NL. Um, and then I think we win the first game, but maybe not get to this, and maybe fall short of the CS. All right, well, let's get into our other division winners while we're at it. And I'm going to run down my AL picks. I'm going to go with the Blue Jays getting the win in the AL East. I mean, you know, this is a team many people thought that they would win the division last year over the Yankees and Red Sox and Rays, who were all fighting for it last year. Many people thought this was a great young core. And I just kept saying they're too young. They're too young. Just wait. I think this is the year that they come onto the scene with Bobachette. Kevin Biggio, Vlad Guerrero Jr., I mean, Matt Chapman, just a such young core that is really, really solid. I think they're finally ready for it. I think they're going to beat the Yankees to win the AL East. Moving on, the Guardians. I have them winning the Central. And then, or, yes, and then the Astros, as always, winning the West. 
my three wild card teams are the Yankees, Mariners, and Twins. Going to the National League, I think the the NL East gets three teams in. I have the Braves win the division. I have the Phillies and the Mets all making the playoffs. I have the Cardinals winning the Central, and then I have the Dodgers winning the West with the Padres making the wild card as well. My World Series, though, and this is going to be a shocker to many people, I think, but I think they finally get over the hump for the first time in a very long time and get to number 28. I have the New York Yankees winning the World Series over our Atlanta Braves. I keep talking about how I'm worried about the Braves pitching struggles, and I really am right now. But I think AA is going to make some moves right there at the trade deadline to get us a couple more bullpen pieces and maybe another starter or two. I think we're going to be much healthier by then. I think the Braves can get there. But I think the Yankees and Carlos Rodon, who I will talk about a little later, I think they are going to win the World Series. Anthony Volpe at shortstop has been awesome so far in spring training for them. Ready to see what he has this year. I think the Yankees are going to do it this year, man. But what are your picks? Well, we're, we're pretty much similar. I, I, I really like the Blue Jays this year. I picked them last year. Um, and I was a little early, but I, I will double down. I, I like Toronto. I think exactly like all the reasons you mentioned, they were too young a little last year. I think they're going to take the next step. The Yankees are going to be right behind them, though, in that first wild card spot. Excuse me. In the AL, I, I really like – I really, I think I'm going to take the Twins over the Guardians. I really like the Guardians. Team. Guardians are going to be in my wild card. Don't worry about that. But I think the Twins are going to take that next step this year, really win the division versus just scoot their way into the playoffs. And obviously in the West, you got to take the Astros. I think the Angels are going to be close to the wild card position. I don't think they're going to get it, though. Um, so the thir- three wild card teams would be, I said, the Yankees, tw- the Guardians, and hmm. <laughs> I thought I had a third one. Maybe the Angels do slide in. Okay. Yeah. Maybe the Angels slide in the last wild card slot. I like the Mariners. They're a good team, but I think the Angels are going to surpass them. I think they're just too hot coming from the World BC. You should get a healthy Rendon. Pitching looks a little bit better. They've got all those prospects that should make it onto the scene this year. I'm going to take the Angels to edge out the Mariners for that last wild card spot. In the NM, obviously, taking the Braves to win the division. I said they're going to win by three over the Phillies. Phillies is the top wild card. I've got the Cardinals over the Brewers and the NL Central. Uh, and then out west, I'll take the Dodgers over the Padres. Same three wild card teams. I'll go Padres, excuse me, I'll go Phillies, Padres, Mets in that order. And then I think, like you said, I, I, out of the AL, I think the teams are really good. I don't want to take Houston again. I feel like it's too chalk. I will take the Yankees to come out of the AL. Um, I, think, I think it is their year. Uh, in the NL, though, as much as I love the Braves, I think we get to the CS. I think we lose to the Phillies. I think the Philly teams come back and gets revenge for us. I think the team is just too loaded. They were there last year. I think they're ready. They're, they're even better this year. I think they're ready to take that next step, and I would take the Phillies in seven over the Yankees. All right. I mean, I could definitely see it. I'm high on this Phillies team. I had them winning the division for the longest time, but – I just have a little too much faith in Alex Anthopoulos and what he's going to do with the pitching staff later in the year and maybe at shortstop, depending on what happens there. So I do have the Braves winning the division, but I would not be surprised if the Phillies make a big run 
as long uh, along with side the Yankees. I didn't have the Yankees winning the division, but I have them winning the World Series. Yeah, that, think, World, that World Series is two non-division winners. Yeah. I mean, I think this year the World Series is wide open, maybe the most wide open it's ever been. I don't even know if you have a real favorite. I mean, the Dodgers nobody's really talking about right now. I think the Dodgers still have a great shot, even though they're not the – you know, Dodgers juggernaut of the past. I still think they're a really good baseball team. The Cardinals, not many people are talking about them. I think this offense is really, really good. Led by Lars Newtbar, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, the list goes on and on. This offense is going to be awesome. I yeah, think it's Will, deep this year. Wilson Contreras now to succeed Yadier yes. Molina. Yeah, I mean, I think this offense is really deep for the Cardinals. I think it's wide open anywhere you look. But let's move on with it, and let's get to our MVP talks. For the National League, I'm going to go with Mookie Betts. I mean, Mookie is probably the best all-around baseball player in the league. I mean, just defensively, he's amazing. Offensively, he's going to bat 310, 320, hit 35, 40 homers if he's healthy. I mean, it's hard to pick against him. I know a lot of people are picking Juan Soto and Trey Turner. We saw Soto struggle a lot last year. I think some of that might continue still. I think he's going to have a much better year, but I do not see him ha- have you know hitting 310, 320 with 40-plus bombs like he was doing. Um, and then in the AL, I have Shohei Otani. It's really hard to pick against him. I know that I was super wrong about Shohei a couple years ago. He's just <clears throat> proved me wrong over and over and over. It's hard to pick against him because as long as he has somewhere around a three ERA and hits 270, 280 with 30 plus bombs, he's going to win MVP. As long as he is very, like good on both sides, he's going to win it. So I have Shohei winning it. What are your picks? Yeah, so in the AL side, right there with you, Shohei. It's the chalk pick. It's too easy, but I don't, I don't see any other person right now coming to challenging for it. I think it's his job to lose or excuse me, his award to lose, and I think he's going to be playing defense all year and come home with it at the end of the end of the season as we get to the NL. NL's wide open, in my opinion. A lot of people want to bet on Trey Turner uh, being after his amazing World Baseball Classic run. And a lot of – and, you know, as a Braves fan, I like the Matt Olsen and the Ronald Acuna picks. I think both of them have legit shots to be the MVP when we get – when we sit here in September and talk about these things. I really like Nolan Arenado, too. I know Arenado is not the best offensive hitter at times. He has the spurts. Sometimes he goes cold. I know Goldschmidt won it last year. It'd be weird to have back-to-back Cardinals players, but there's something in my gut that tells me Arenado's going to have a huge year. I'm going to take the third baseman to get his first MVP this season. Yeah, I mean, I like that. You know, he's one of my favorite players in the league. Would love to see him get one. Now let's get to our Cy Young picks. And I'm going to go with Corbin Burns winning the National League. Burns has been right there for year after year after year after year. I mean, he's amazing. I think he finally gets it this year. I have Corbin Burns winning. I'm going to go with him having a 2-3 ERA, having about 16-17 wins and just above a one whip. I think he's going to be an awesome year. Then in the AL, I have Carlos Rodon. I mentioned that earlier. I said I'd get into him a little more. I think he wins the Cy Young, and he's a big reason why the Yankees win the World Series. What are your picks? 
Obviously, I think Radon has a great year. I think that the pitching staff the Yankees have with him and Garrett Cole are going to be deadly. But man, something about Jacob DeGrom in Texas just sounds right. I, I don't know. I think he goes home. I know he has injury history. Uh, you know, it's obviously hard to pick him. But if he's on, he's the best pitcher in baseball and everyone knows it. I think he gets a little healthier this year. I think the Texas staff is very smart with him. They don't push anything. Maybe he doesn't get all the starts, you know, that he was, you know, that a regular player gets. But I think when he does start, he's right on it. He's electric. I'm going to take Jacob DeCrom to edge out, you know, some other AL pitchers for the Cy Young. In the NL, man, the Corbin Burns pick makes a lot of sense to me. It really does. Um, because like we've like we've mentioned, I feel like we talk we talk about his name every year in preseason Cy Young picks, and every year he's right there at the end. Oh, he's a finalist. Oh, he's right on the cusp. Is he going to win it? I think I, I like your pick. I think I'm going to steal it. I think right. Um, I think he finally gets over the hump. At the end of the year, we're not talking about Corbin Corbin Burns missing his third Cy Young. They were going to talk about him winning his first. All right. Well, do you have anything else in the MLB? No. All right, well, let's get into the NFL draft. And I'm going to just apologize right here. I have not been able to keep up with sports and especially the NFL draft like I'd love to. I plan on making a whole spreadsheet of, you know, my top players like I did last year. I have not had the time. So I'm pretty much going to let you handle this. I'll give, you know, a couple picks the NFL draft and who I think are some steals and stuff. But I want you to pretty much handle this one, so take it away. Yeah, so big big thing is obviously uh, Chicago Bears made out like bandits and traded the number one pick to Carolina. Uh, in return, they get the ninth pick, a first-round pick next year, another pick, and DJ Moore um, just for the number one overall pick. Uh, Carolina's going all in. Uh, they've they've revamped their offensive staff, obviously, with the hiring of Frank Wright. They have Josh McCown as quarterback coach. I mean, they are going all in on the future, and that future is revolving around Who's the next quarterback in Charlotte? A lot of people once a lot of there's a lot of talk of CJ Shroud being the number one pick. I like it. I, I think I don't know if I like it in the sense of like I think CJ Shroud's a better person, but it makes sense to me that CJ Shroud goes to Carolina. Frank Wright loves the big quarterback. Josh McCown's a big quarterback. They don't use the undersized, somewhat mobile guys. They like the pocket passers that stand up tall and straight and can sling it 70 yards downfield. I think that's what Stroud does for them in this draft, and I think he's the first pick off the board. Obviously, that brings you to number two. You get Houston. Houston needs a quarterback. I think they take Bryce Young. It's not a hard pick. You take whoever's left. You get to three. This is going to be a huge trade-up spot, I think. Arizona's at three. You can see somebody like a Seattle or an Atlanta or even an Indianapolis to jump up the three so nobody else does. If the Cardinals take the pick, I think it's Will Anderson. They trade the pick. It's Anthony Richardson at three. Now who comes up and gets him? That's yet to be seen. Um, at four, like I said. Let's pause right there and let, let, let me talk about Anthony Richardson for a minute. So, you know, I'm a big Florida fan, and so I've seen this guy over and over and over, and I think he should have been our spar- starter two years ago. And I think if he had, I think he'd be much more NFL-ready than he is right now. I mean, the guy has all of the talent in the world. He's 6'4", 245, runs a 4'4", 3. I mean, what more could you ask for in a, you know, he, he's a project. He is. He's got 
a lot of work to do. He's not ready yet. But I think in the right system with the right quarterback coach, right offense coordinator, he could become a really, really good NFL quarterback. But in the wrong system, or if he just doesn't develop properly, he's going to be a huge bust. I mean, we've seen the accuracy issues. We've seen the very dumb decisions he makes sometimes, not taking checkdowns at times when he should. I think all these things are very coachable, though. Just has to be the right fit. And so I think he's either going to be a really big bust or a huge, huge reward for somebody. And I'm talking, I think he's either going to be better than Lamar Jackson or out of the league in two years. I don't think there's any in between for him. He has all of the talent in the world. Somebody just has to make it right. And I think they can, but if they don't, it's going to be a major bust for somebody. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think that's why, in my head, he needs to go to Indianapolis. Indianapolis can buy a bridge quarterback. It's not that hard. Indianapolis has Stane Steichen now as the head coach. He came from the Eagles. Stane Steichen was instrumental in the Jalen Hurts development these past three years. He was huge. He was the guy that Jalen went to to learn and how to develop and how to get better. Not saying Anthony Richardson and Jalen Hurts are the same player, but they have similar styles. He can get the most out of Anthony Richardson the same way he got the most out of Jalen Hurts. His offensive coordinator in Indianapolis was also the – I can't remember who's the actual offensive coordinator – but Steichen is going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy in Anthony Richardson's ear or whoever quarterback ends up in Indianapolis. I think it's a great place for him to go. And if worse comes to worse, Indianapolis will be right back in this position next year or two years from now, and they can restart it over without burning a hot pick. They don't need defense. They don't need a receiver. They need a quarterback. That team is set up already to make some noise once they get a good signal caller in there. I think the Colts should take the pick on Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I can definitely see that. But keep moving on. I'll let you go ahead. So, number five is Seattle. Uh, Seattle is going to be a huge question mark. A lot of people thought if Jalen Carter fell to Seattle at five, there was no way in hell he was going to pass. Jalen Carter's had a rough couple of months between the arrest for possible uh, – for reckless driving and racing that resulted – that was on the same night as the deaths of two Georgia – a staff member and a football player. Now he had a pro. He's nine pounds heavier than the combine. He looked to be out of shape. He couldn't even finish drills. Now, obviously, I get it. It's emotional distress. The man's going through probably the toughest period in his life. I understand all that. You need to be ready, but I'm not going to judge you for that. He's going to be a top ten pick. Someone's going to take a chance on him. not saying it's the smartest or they might not get burned, but Jalen Carter will be a top ten pick. However, I don't think it's Seattle. I think Seattle's going to take Tyree Wilson, edged rusher out of Texas. He's a good guy, good character, fits the locker room culture that Seattle has built up in the post, you know, Legion of Boom era. Um, I think Tyree Wilson comes off the board at five to Seattle. However, before we go on to the next one, I need to talk to Mike Tannenbaum because Mike Tannenbaum said something yesterday on Get Up that was just absolutely outrageous in my opinion. He was saying that Hendon Hooker, Texas quarterback, or excuse me, Tennessee quarterback, would go five to Seattle. And if that happens, then we don't know nothing about this draft. We all need to just burn our mock drafts, turn around and leave, and just watch television at that point because the draft yeah. will be completely off the rails. Well, here's my thing about that. First of all, they just signed they just signed Geno Smith to extension, and I don't see them taking a quarterback. I mean, Geno had a very good season. Don't think they're looking for a replacement right now. And second of all, Hendon Hooker, he's a – 
you know, he's a difficult prospect to talk about because he's, what, 25? Mm-hmm. So, like, many people are saying he's going to go lower because of that. I think Hooker is a really good prospect. Do I think he's a top five, top ten pick? No. But if somebody took a shot at him late in the first round, I would not be mad about it at all. I think he's an awesome quarterback, great arm strength, great accuracy, great decision-making. I mean, his touchdown-turnover ratio this year was just astounding, and he was the main reason why Tennessee took that next step with Josh Hopple this year. I think he's a great prospect, maybe a late first-round pick, but definitely not top five to Seattle. But keep yep. moving on. Six, we get to Detroit. Detroit could also take Jalen Carter. Dan Campbell's known to love his guys in the trenches. I don't think they do that. I think they go cornerback. I think they take Christian Gonzalez off the board at six. Oregon quarterback, I think he's really speedy. I think he's a great uh, route, you know, uh, I don't know what the quarterback turn for route runner is, but he can stay with anybody. He knows how to move with receivers. He's very fluid in the defensive backfield. I think he'd be a great pickup to go opposite of Jeff Akuda and that Lions backfield. Seven, we get to the Vegas Raiders, um, and I think they make the dumb decision of the draft and take Will Levis. Look, I'm not saying I like it. I would – I actually vehemently disagree with it. I'm just telling you what I think Vegas does. They got a history yeah. for it. Jimmy G's not going to be there forever. It would make sense to have Will Levis – or Jimmy G is that bridge quarterback while Will Levis develops. I think that's what happens at number seven. Yeah, let me talk about Will Levis for a minute because he's another guy kind of like Anthony Richardson with high upside but also could be a very huge bust. Will Levis is, in my opinion, he's not near the prospect Anthony Richardson is. I mean, Richardson's so much bigger, so much faster. I The arm strengths, yeah, you can argue, you can debate whoever out those, but, I mean, that's about all Will Levis has going for him, a strong arm. He's not the most accurate passer. He turns the ball over a lot. He's not a huge rusher. And, you know, you can say most of those things about Anthony Richardson besides the rushing. But Anthony Richardson, if he's struggling on the passing side of the ball, just let him run the ball 10 times for 150 yards, and you're going to be just fine. Will Levis doesn't have that to lean on. And I just don't like Will Levis as a prospect. I thought maybe I was going to be wrong about him this year in college. His stats were terrible this year. Go back and look at it, especially when he played top talent. He he was not good at all. Anthony Richardson, when he played top talent, he did look good still. He looked good against Georgia. He looked good against Tennessee. He looked good against FSU. I mean, over and over and over in these big games against really good teams, he looked good. Now, was he awesome? And he still turned the ball over, had some accuracy issues. But the stats he put up were still good. Will Levis did not have those games. I don't think Levis is that good of a prospect. I don't think he should be a first-rounder. What are your thoughts? Will Levis is Zach Wilson 2.0. That's all I need to say. That's exactly who he is. He's the guy who can dazzle people in pajamas on a pro day or the combine, and everybody thinks, wow, we need to take this guy. Look at all of that. But the moment he gets into pad and he plays real talent, he crumbles. That's that's my take, and I would live and die on that here until somebody proves me wrong, and I think that's what happens at number seven. All right, we'll keep moving on. Number eight is the Atlanta Falcons. I really want Jalen Carter to go to Atlanta. And I really want Jalen Carter to go to Atlanta, not because he's a Georgia boy, because I think it's a huge need that we can put him right opposite of uh, Brady Jarrett and have one of the most formidable, you know, down to, you know, on defensive lines in the country. 
or in the nation. Jalen Carter's not going to get picked by Atlanta. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just want to make that very clear. But my professor is Orlando Ledbetter, who is the beat, rep- beat reporter for Atlanta. And he has said consistently over and over and over again, says Terry is not Terry Fanon, the new, the new GM, who's having a great offseason, by the way. Falcons have a great offseason. Side Calais Campbell this morning. Love that pick. Side Jesse Bates. Love that. You know, yada, yada, yada. Taylor Carter's not coming to Atlanta. I think we turn to tackle. Um, I think we take Peter Skaronsky. I don't love it. It's not sexy. It doesn't do a lot, but it does fill a hole on the line and really solidifies our offensive line for years to come. I think that's what the Falcons end up doing. Well, I think he's a really good prospect. I think he's a great offensive lineman, probably the best, you know, there is this year. But talking about Jalen Carter, let me just talk about him for a minute. I mean, you know, before all this, these issues happen, we were talking about him being the best overall prospect and, I think it's very debatable that he still is. The problem is he has a lot of off-field things going around him. I mean, like you mentioned earlier with the wreck, who knows what's going to happen with that. I doubt he gets in much trouble, but it's still something looming over his head. And then with the pro day stuff, you know, he doesn't even run the 40. All of his other thing times, you know, the drills were just not good. Not what we expected out of Jalen Carter. So, is it all of that affecting his things? Or, I mean, I don't, I don't know what's going on with Jalen Carter right now. Great prospect, just a lot of stuff hanging over his head right now. So, like I said, great prospect, but could come back to bite somebody. Who knows? But keep moving on. Well, that gets you to number nine, Chicago. And I think this is when Jalen Carter comes off the board. And I kid you not, if Ryan Pace gets out of this draft by trading down eight spots, to take the number one overall player that he could have had on his board three weeks ago, I think Ryan Pace will be very, very happy. I think Jay, I think Chicago takes a chance. I don't think they've got anything to lose. They need the position there. They're going to have the team built around Justin Fields. They need a good. They needed a better defense. I think Jalen Carter comes off the board at that. After that, we All get right. into the Eagles, Jets. You know, some of the better teams, those are when trades are going to happen and things get weird. So I'm not going to try to mock that this early out till we get closer to it. But that's what I think happens in the first nine. What about you? Anything you change? No, I think number one overall is going to be very interesting by the Panthers. I think it's going to be a quarterback, but I think there's three chances. I mean, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, as you already mentioned, no, they've kind of been interchangeable at the one spot. I think I would lean Stroud going to the Panthers right now over Bryce Young, but I'm telling you, Anthony Richardson is not out of the realm of possibilities at number one. I think he's plus 800 right now. His odds have moved up drastically since all the draft start, talk started. I think Anthony Richardson very well could go number one. Do I think he should? No. But I think it's a very good possibility. Other than that, I just want to talk about one or two other guys real quick. First of all, I want to talk about the steal that Jackson Smith and Jig was going to be somebody late in the first round. I think he's going to fall somewhere between 20 and 30, and I think he's the number one receiver. I mean, yes, he didn't play much this year, had a lot of lingering hamstring issues. You know, people were talking about did he sit out in the playoffs, this or that. I think that when healthy, he is the best receiver in the draft, and I don't even know if it's close. I get Quentin Johnson's awesome, Zay Flowers is awesome, all these other guys. Jordan I think Jackson's – who? 
Jordan Addison. Yeah, Jordan Addison, I think he's another great one. But I think that JSN is the number one receiver when healthy, and I think he should be a top ten pick still. On the other side, I want to talk about a bust that I think. We've already talked about a couple busts, such as Will Levis, maybe Anthony Richardson. I think Brian Brzee is another guy that's going to be a bust. I'm not high on him. I think he's probably going to be a top 10, top 15 pick. He's just never produced at the level we thought he'd be. He was a five-star coming out of high school, had a pretty good freshman season. Since then, he's just disappointed. Things he's going to be a bust for somebody. What are your thoughts? Who's a sleeper and who's going to be a bust in your eyes? And, and I mean, I don't know how much of a sleeper this is because a lot of people have come onto the scene to talk about him. And again, could be a homer pick, but I think Nolan Smith's going to have a really good NFL career. I think he's going to be dangerous. Uh, I think he's going to be very versatile. He's coachable. I think he's a lot faster than people give him credit for. I think he's going to be a sneaky good pick for someone in the late teens, early 20s in this first round. And he's going to make a difference on a playoff team immediately. Um, from the bus side, Obviously, we talked about Will Levis, and if I had to put money on it, I'd talk about Will Levis. But even beyond that, I am not high on Quinton Johnson. I'm not. Quinton Johnson reminds me a lot of Traylon Burks. And I get Traylon Burks last year. It was his rookie season in Tennessee. He was okay. But I think Quinton Johnson could be even worse than that. I, I just don't see him turning out to be really efficient at the NFL level. I mean, you saw him in that championship game against Georgia – Biggest moment stage, and obviously there were a lot of things going wrong for TCU in that game. But he was playing Keely Ringo and Kamari Lassiter, both probably going to be NFL quarterback cornerbacks. I'm not worried about that. But they're not the top talent in this league in the in the NFL by no means. And they were he was getting shut down after shut down after shut down. I don't think he's going to have a really efficient NFL career. He reminds me a lot of Kenny Galladay. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that a lot. All right, well, do you have anything else in the NFL draft? No. All right, well, let's move on to the NBA playoffs. And once again, I'm pretty much let you take over this one. I might throw my hat in there in a couple things, but go ahead. Um, so just to kind of the biggest things that we should talk about, obviously the usual suspects are there. LeBron just came back from injury, and they're playing for seeding in the play-in tournament. They're trying not to fall out of it. Uh, so keep something to keep an eye on there. Kyrie and Luka has been an absolute abysmal experiment experiment so far when they traded for Kyrie the Mavs were the fourth seed in the west they are now the 11th seed I mean they are just they are subpar at best Lucas seems already agitated by Kyrie's antics it's trouble in Dallas for real Jason Kidd might even be on the hot seat you flip over also in the west the Sacramento Kings are one win away a win tonight puts them in the postseason and ends the longest postseason drought in NBA history man it's a huge day in Sacramento. Obviously, they've traveling to Portland tonight and Friday. They'd have to lose the next two games for a chance to clinch it at home after losing to the Timberwolves on Monday. But the Kings are going to be in the playoffs, folks. They're a three seed. They're right on the heels for Memphis for the two seed. It's going to be an electric postseason in Sacramento. Um, you look to the east. The play-in right now is the Nets and the Heat are tied for the six seed. Uh, the Nets on the tiebreaker, so the Heat is the seventh seed. The Hawks are the eighth seed. They're 38 and 38 in the last 30 games. 30. They have been one game away from 500, whether that is under, above, or at, or at it. They are 15 and 15 in their last 30, 14 and 14 in the last 28, 13 and 13 in the last 26. 
so on all the way down to their one and one in their last two. They're the most mid team of all time. Uh, it's officially our NBA record. Um, so yeah, not the best season out of the Hawks. Expected more. Um, obviously, the coaching change in the middle by hiring Quinn Snyder instead of and firing Nate McMillan never steals confidence. Um, but Trey Young, the good thing was Trey Young had a bad night last night. I mean, I didn't have an awful night. He went 15, 15 points, 10 assists. But we still won the game against Cleveland. That's something you could have never said two years ago. Oh, Trey Young had a bad night. Well, you lost. You lost pretty bad, probably. This team is built up around him. Onyeka and Kong Wu has been absolutely electric since the All-Star break. I- I'm getting closer and closer every day to wanting to trade Clint Capella. Uh, my favorite Twitter uh, trend right now is Jalen Brown is angry in Boston, and everyone's like photoshopping in Hulk jersey because they want him to come home. I would love that. Trade Collins and Capella for Jalen Brown. Trade DeAndre Hunter too. I don't really care. Like, give me Jalen Brown. Um, so there's a couple of questions going into this postseason. Um, it's a little too early to say. Next week we'll have a lot better picture because there's just a lot of seeds that can change. Um, but Talk about the Jazz, man. That's what I want to talk about. The Jazz were the number one seed for like the first two months of the West, and now they're like the 13th seed, man. Obviously, the Jazz were never going to be good. But how do you like put it all together the first two and then just crumble the rest of the time? That sounds like some tanking to me, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, speaking about the Hawks, you know, I always say being in the middle of the pack is never where you want to be in a major sport because you don't get a high draft pick and you're not making a championship push. So the Hawks are kind of in a very bad spot right now. You know, Trey Young, this and that, great player, but seems to still be, you know, possibly a locker room issue. I mean, many of the players don't seem to play well with him, like hanging around him and stuff. I think maybe it's time to move on from Trey. I've been saying that last few months. I don't think he's a championship winner to build around. Getting someone like Jalen Brown, I think, will be absolutely awesome. I think Jalen Brown's a heck of a player, but I still don't think you'd be a championship uh, contender, I guess. You'd be a lot better. I'd love to see what happens, but I don't know if that'd still quite be there. But do you have anything else in the NBA? Not really. I kind of mentioned everything. All right, well, let's move on. I've got two more things real quick before we give our bull predictions, and we're going to go back and talk about the TPC. And I want to just mention Scotty Scheffler's historic win. I mean, it it, it was never even close. It was Scotty's the whole day Sunday. Nobody ever thought that anybody else was even going to win it. He ends up winning by like five, six strokes, how many ever it was. Just absolutely dominated. And, you know, it's sad to see my pick, Rory McIlroy, did not even make the cut. I mean, he struggled all week. Could not putt. He has changed putters. Going to use a new one for the Masters. Maybe he can find something there. Because putting at the Masters is the most important thing. I mean, the greens are super, super fast always. And really hard to putt on. And you've got to be at the top of your game. But let's talk about the Masters now. Next week, on Easter Sunday, we're going to be crowning a winner you know the funny thing is Jordan Spieth has been crowned a winner two or the last two Easters is he going to make it a third and finally get back in the majors and win another I don't think so I'm going to go with John Rom. I know it's a chalk pick but John Rom only has one major in his career and has not won a Masters ever 
I think he's going to win. I think he's finally going to get over the hump. He's been putting pretty solid. If there is ever a tick to his game, it is his putting, but I think he's going to be just fine next week. I'm going to go with John Rom. I think Rory McIlroy does make a bit of a bounce back. I think he makes the cut, but probably still finishes outside the top 20. I think Scotty Scheffler's another name. I mean, this is the time we saw him get super hot last week. He had, uh, last year. He had never even won on tour going into, I think it was the TPC. And then he wins that. He wins the Masters. He wins like four straight tournaments. I mean, he was electric last year at this time. I think he's going to keep that trend up. He's the best player in the world right now. McElroy and Rom are close second, but I think he's the best. And I think he's going to finish top five as, again this week. But I think John Rom ends up winning it all. What is your prediction? Well, Scheffler's a great pick. John Rom's a great pick. I like – Spieth pick is fun because I'm a big thing of patterns. You know this. I love my patterns. Um, but I think, I think I'll go Scheffler to win back-to-back. I know it's hard. It's rare. But he's so hot right now. He knows how to win this course. It's not impossible. Rom's going to make a push, and I wouldn't be surprised if Rom gets his first next Sunday. But I think I'm going to go Scheffler to go back-to-back. All right. Well, that is all I have in the golf world. And I want to get into our bold predictions. And my first one is I'm going to go pretty bold here. I'm going to go Matt Olson hits 50-plus bombs this year. I'm 99% sure I projected something like that on last year's podcast as one of my bold predictions. And I said something about him, you know, probably winning MVP. You know, something around those lines. But Matt Olson has been absolutely raking in spring training. He hit eight homers. He should have had a ninth yesterday. He missed it by about a foot off the top of the wall. But Matt Olson has just been raking. I mean, the Braves, you know, hitting it right field into the chop house is pretty friendly at their stadium. I think he's going to hit 50-plus bombs. What are your thoughts on that? And then give me your bold prediction. Yeah, I, I really like it. Um, I think it's possible. I think he definitely gets over 40. Uh, 50 will be a little bit of a push, but we'll see what happens. I'm going to stay in baseball, and I'm going to stay with the Braves. Um, a lot of people are going to have questions about Orlando Arcia this weekend. He's going to be the guy that everybody looks to because no one expected him to be this opening day guy. Garcia continues his hot streak he's been on. I'm going to take two home runs in the series this weekend versus the Bats. Two home runs awesome. for Garcia. Yeah, I'd love to see it. And Orlando Garcia is a big question mark, like you keep saying. Here's the thing. When he was with the Brewers, he was statistically the worst defensive shortstop in the MLB. He has gotten better. I think he's somewhere around the middle of the pack right now, probably defensively. He started to show a lot more pop than he showed in Milwaukee. I think that he's a solid shortstop. I think he will have a better year than at least what Vaughn Grissom would have with the defensive side of things. I think Vaughn might would hit a hair better. I don't think Shoemake's quite ready, but I think he is getting there very quickly. Could we trade Shoemake and Grissom or some package to get a better shortstop? Yes. And then have RC as a bench guy or platoon something. But – R.C. is very interesting, as you keep mentioning, and I'm ready to see what he has. I think R.C. is in for a good season. I think if you see a full season out of him, he'll hit 20-plus homers, probably bat somewhere around 250, and I think he's going to be milled to pack defensively, as I said. But that's all I have there. Do you have any other thoughts? No. 
All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Go Braves, go Hawks, and go Falcons.